Welcome to the Neon Noise Podcast, your home for learning ways to attract more traffic to your website, generate more leads, convert more leads into customers, and build stronger relationships with your customers. And now, your hosts, Justin Johnson and Ken Franzen. Hey, hey, Neon Noise Nation. Welcome to the Neon Noise Podcast, where we decode marketing and sales topics to help you grow your business. I am Justin, and with me, I have my co-host, Ken. Mr. Ken, how are you doing today? Is everything well? Everything is well, Justin. How about yourself? I am doing good. Excited to talk to our featured guest today. We have David Bradley. He's the CEO of BBG Inc., a digital strategy firm. He's a digital marketing strategy expert, best-selling author, consultant, and coach. David has worked with venture-funded startups and nine-figure corporations to help them develop and execute digital strategies. He is the author of Getting Digital Marketing Right, a simplified process for business growth, goal attainment, and powerful marketing. David has also worked with several marketing agency owners to help them grow their business into more sophisticated and profitable companies. David, we are excited to have you on today. Welcome to Neon Noise. I'm excited to be here. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Hey, do me a favor and uh, fill in the blanks on anything I may have missed. Just uh, share with us a little bit uh, about your background. Sure thing. Uh, Well, you know, I published my book, Getting Digital Marketing Right, uh, a little bit over two years ago now, and it's done fairly well. And my focus in that has really been about getting the right practices in place so that you can implement and execute the best practices on the best channels for your unique business. Um, So, you know, what I do and what I'm really all about is getting in front of your customers online and building the best team around you so that you can do that effectively in the best way possible. Um, and that's, that's what the book is about. That's what I, I speak about. Um, I have a online course as well that recently broke 10,000 students. Nice. Um, so that's, that's gone very well for me. Um, and I just like to educate other marketers and agency owners and so on on how they can really align best practices to their business or to their client's business, whatever the case might be. Um, and I've, I've been at it with my agency for uh, about three years now, just over three years. But uh, I didn't realize until recently, it all started for me back when I was around 12 years old. And I was into graphic design and video games, a little bit of a geek. <laughs> and uh, I want to talk about those things with other people. So I created a couple of websites and message boards way back then. And uh, they were hideous. But all the sites were back then, so that's okay. <laughs> right. We but, can all relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the day, that was the standard. So I did okay, and it, it taught me some basic online marketing principles, really about creating communities and building relationships. So it's always been something relevant to me. Um, and now, today, it's part of my profession, so that's that's great, and I'm, I'm very happy with it. Very cool story. Absolutely. David, gathering information is is such an important part of the planning process of any marketing strategy. Can you tell us a little bit about how you approach gathering information and some of the things that should be focused on? Yeah, sure thing. So when you're talking about gathering uh, information, it's really data. And that is the cornerstone of successful marketing and successful strategy. And this is something that everyone can agree with. It resonates with everyone. 
So obviously when we're talking about a digital strategy, this is where we need to begin the information. Um, meanwhile, we might know that, but it's tough to slow down and not just throw together a marketing campaign, feeling creative. You want to get some results quick. So you want to put together uh, a campaign as quick as possible. But before we do that, I try to slow down, focus on that information piece. And it's something I call market intelligence, that phase one, of the whole strategy process. Um, and there's two elements to that. There's what I call mining intelligence assets and gathering intelligence data. So first, that piece uh, I call intelligence assets. Those are elements that are in your business existing today and readily or easily available to you. Things that you can examine, interpret, turn into actionable insights. So, for example, to make that more concrete, uh, it could be past market research, uh, any databases, email lists that you might have, uh, past campaigns, their historical performance, and so on. So these are the things that you need to examine to understand, understand the strengths or weaknesses in your market, in your marketing. Um, you also want to figure out, all right, this, this is all the information that we have. What do we not have? You know, what are we missing? So that's something that a lot of people tend to overlook. It's it's the work you've already done. So you want to leverage that because the easy thing to do. And easy is usually the best way to go starting out. So that's uh, the first part of phase one for gathering information. The second part is intelligence data. And that's, you know, the supporting or supplemental information that you add to the assets that you're already able to find. So typically, this is something that I find to be more collaborative. Uh, you're going to bring in other parties, whether that's in-house experts, your salespeople, customer service reps, executives, and so on, or external partners, customers, prospects, vendors that you work with. And here, you know, it's important to do an inventory of your marketing programs, the gaps in what you're actually doing now and what you need to be doing. Um, but the best practice is probably one-on-one -on -one sit-down interviews with prospects and customers, really being able to talk to individuals in your marketplace, understand them, and get down to the nitty-gritty about what's on their mind, what, are, what they're thinking about. So, you know, big data is exciting. It's a hot topic and all of that. But the one-on-one -on -one conversations, that's what I think separates uh, the real successful strategies from, from the rest. So putting in the elbow grease will pay off, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's uh, a practice that I typically recommend. You don't just do it once where you interview five, six, seven people and call it a day. But it's something you try to do every month. And it might be one or two, maybe three customers or prospects that you talk to. But you put in the time to figure it out. And it really forces you to understand the market on an ongoing basis. And it keeps you very sharp. And it's it's a worthwhile investment of your time. So it's, it's definitely my go-to in terms of recommendations. If there's one thing I can say in terms of gathering information, it's sit down with your customers and actually talk to them. Sure. No, that makes absolute sense. Now, David, some of our listeners are established businesses with marketing plans that are in place, and they possess some of these assets that 
that they could evaluate and <laughs> Uh, others are newer businesses, startups that might not have a, a well-defined marketing plan. So when uh, they, and I guess both of these instances, um, whether you have the assets or you don't, there's that identifying what you need to create. What would you define as assets that might need to be created uh, that would be uh Generated from these conversations with customers or prospective customers. Can you can you put your finger on a couple of those things just to give the listeners an idea of he's talking about this? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think the end result, um, you know, you can put together this this huge report of all the information that you've gathered together and what different things can mean. But the ultimate goal at the end of the day, uh, I would say, is to develop something called a buyer persona. And in marketing, one of the, the struggles that I have with the marketing field is that we come up with 100 names for everything. So a buyer persona is an avatar. It is an ideal customer profile. There's probably 10 other names for it. But at the end of the day, <laughs> it's a representation of who your best buyer is, the people that you want to reach out to. Um, could be one person. It could be three, four, five. Depends on your type of business and the scope of things. But I think that's the ultimate goal. Define that buyer persona. Um, and, you know, I think that's a bit of qualitative and quantitative quantitative data pieced together. Sure. So how how does a buyer persona, we've talked about buyer personas here a little bit, but one thing that I always run into when, when speaking with, with business owners, entrepreneurs, and we talk about avatars, buyer personas, you are so spot on when you say there's a different term for describing that. Um, but one of the things I often run into is, is they question how is, you know, I have a target market. How is that different from a buyer persona? I already have a target market. I'm, I'm targeting, uh, male buyers, age, 35 to 55 that make over $110,000 a year who live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. Is that a buyer persona? Well, you got a skeleton there of a buyer persona. Maybe Um, there's, there's a bit more to piece together and that's where, uh, you know, ideal scenario, you do that qualitative research, interviewing individuals, you back it up with, uh, more quantitative in terms of surveying to to prove the hypothesis that you come up with from those interviews. It's a, an extra step, not really needed. But at the end of the day, that persona isn't just those basic demographics. It's about their online behavior. It's the, the personal histories, motivations, concerns that are on their mind. And that's going to change based on different stages of the buyer's journey, which we can talk about in a bit. But really, this buyer persona needs to outline a specific individual type of buyer and it's something that you use in every piece of marketing and advertising you do from there it actually makes your job way easier it makes your marketing way better because you're not creating a marketing plan for a target market you're creating it for buyer persona a or buyer persona b which you know you can name in different creative little ways um, homeowner Andy, renter Jane, etc. Make it fit your market. But when you're creating a marketing plan for homeowner Andy, 
it's different than creating a buyer persona for homeowners in the state of Florida. Um, it just makes everything more concrete and a lot more simple at the end of the day. So it's, it's worth investing the extra time to define exactly who your buyer persona is and who your buyer is. Makes sense. Now you, you had mentioned something uh, a second ago about the buyer's journey, which I'm really fascinated with this. And I think it's so important to understand this better based on the big change that we've experienced as consumers, you know, the consumers that we're trying to market to, or even us as consumers ourselves, uh, the change that's happened in the last five, 10 years with, uh, how we buy things. And it's, it's changed because of the connectivity or the ability that we have to do research more so than we ever did before. Can you help our listeners understand a little bit more about the buyer's journey and maybe touch on some of the different stages that the, that the consumer goes through? Yeah, sure. Um, so there's a number of different models for the buyer's journey. Um, and again, there's a number of different names, whether that relates to sales processes and funnels and journeys and customer experience um, experiences and so on. They're all on the same concept, maybe with their own unique little twist. But at the end of the day, I think the best answer the most is the most simple answer. I mentioned that once before. And for that, with the buyer's journey, that means there's three stages to it. First, awareness. Second, consideration. And third, the decision stage. So I'll describe each of those briefly. First off, uh, in the awareness stage, this is where the buyers are recognizing their pain. Uh, yet, at the same time, they aren't fully aware of the potential solutions to that. So they're out there in the market trying to research, you know, this is the issue that I have. What can I do about it? And as a business, we want to just have some educational offers out there in the world that are vendor neutral, um, but very important to individuals at this stage. Uh, you know, commonly this is free ebooks, guides, blog posts, so on and so forth. Just those basic fundamental questions that you'll know that you need to answer because at this point you've already done your buyer persona work, right? So if you've done that, you know what's on the mind at the first stage of when someone is a potential buyer. So as these prospective buyers move through this process, they become uh, more aware of what's going on with their, their problem and what the potential solutions are, and they enter the consideration stage. And at this point, this is where, as the company, you want to start telling them, all right, these are your alternatives. These are the pros and cons of each. That information that you provide to them should lead them towards the best solution for them. And again, the information is just aligned to what's on their mind at this point in the process. Um, very similar to what a, a sales process would be if you were an individual salesman, but now we're translating it into the online marketing world. So it's providing information online, just like a salesman, a, a good salesman would do in person, talking to someone about what their options are. Finally, uh, we're moving them towards the decision stage here. So at this decision stage, they've gone beyond awareness, beyond consideration, 
they're at the point that they have a well-defined problem and they have a pretty clear direction. At this point, the prospective buyers are just looking for the best solution provider. So if they're still engaged with you in some way, you've basically made the shortlist and it's time to close the deal. So that's it in three basic stages, awareness, consideration, decision. It's really about aligning your content, your marketing activities to these stages so that there's a flow from start to finish. And that's where you need to really understand your market, define your buyer personas, know what's on their mind at different stages, these different stages of the process. Does that make sense? It definitely makes sense. Now, the buyer's journey really isn't something that's new. It's kind of a process we went through long before the internet was even invented. I mean, even back when consuming first began. But how is how how do you see the, the introduction of the internet, the fact that consumers now walk around with information at their fingertips at all points in time? What impact or how does that change the buyer's journey or the consumer going through the buyer's journey? What do they do differently now and what should businesses maybe be more aware of uh, or, or mm-hmm. what practices should they be considering due to this change or shift in the buyer's journey? Yeah. Well, I think it's important to know that buyers today are doing up to 80% of the research process before they even reach out to a company. And typically that means they're going online, they're checking out reviews, they're going to websites, they're they're doing that research before they actually get in touch with someone. So they can't, companies can't just rely on their salespeople to do all the work. The salespeople are important, they're still vital, but they need support. And the online space is where people are going. Um, beyond that, another statistic that was uh, somewhat scary but real, um, Americans today, almost 50% of them are going to Facebook to get their news. That's that's their news source. Oh, no. So, <laughs> that's bad. It's, oh it's a changing that's horrible. <laughs> Things are vastly different today. Um, it's just time for businesses to get on board, and I don't think that, honestly, many of them are. I know a lot of businesses, um, you know, small to enterprise, they dabble in online marketing but they don't invest enough in understanding the best practices. And at this point, it's about where is the consumer attention? And we're all carrying around these supercomputers in our pocket all day, every day. We're attached to them. We need to pay attention to that as businesses. And we need to, um, we need to just be available and understand where our market is and meet them there instead of trying to force them to, to meet us in some way. Sure. And it's interesting to just to see what that this this entire dynamic that's happening has done to the the role of a salesperson. I, my first job out of college, I was selling copy machines door to door with business cards, and so it was that type of selling is is, is almost non-existent. And uh, it still happens. Don't get me wrong, but the way that we purchase is completely different. And for businesses not to adopt this change. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity. You made a point that I find fascinating. You said that a lot of businesses from small to enterprise dabble in online. And I look at that and say, wow, the opportunity is gigantic for those that want to adopt and pursue 
a strong online strategy. Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. And across the board, companies are just a bit too uh, slow to adapt. And consumers move a whole lot faster than businesses do. Uh, the businesses that do adapt will see much better results. Um, but it's it's a new medium, you know, to, to still respect the business world. Online marketing is pretty new. Online advertising is new. Facebook advertising is uh, an amazing thing, but there's very few people that truly understand it at the same time. So it's really about just getting up to speed and, you know, not worrying about, in my opinion, don't worry about how virtual reality marketing is going to uh, affect us when we don't have the basics of social media figured out yet. Sure. Um, Get the foundation figured out and you'll be in good shape. Sure, sure. Don't 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 try to to get on Pokemon and uh, be uh, be the superstar there, right? <laughs> right, right. Perfect. So there's, you know, we've alluded to a couple different um, options for you know you mentioned Facebook and and virtual reality, but uh, there's there is a lot of options available today for for businesses to market themselves. We still have the traditional means of TV, radio, direct mail. We have all these new founded. Uh, digital uh, concepts, uh, strategies, platforms. They seem like there's new ones every day. What would you recommend a business from, you know, whether it's small to enterprise uh, do, uh, what would you recommend that they, they do to get the biggest impact for the, the two resources that matter most, time and money? Mm-hmm. Sure, well, I think this is the golden age for both Facebook advertising and Instagram marketing, particularly for B2C companies. Um, Facebook just has a tremendous, unbelievable, almost scary amount of data on their users. Um, They just know everything and they have enough data sources that you can get extremely precise on who you want to target. And beyond that, like I said, a lot of companies haven't figured it out, um, or at least they haven't capitalized on it. So while the competition isn't as high as it can be or will be in a couple of years from now, the prices for ads on Facebook are pretty affordable. So it's time to jump on Facebook advertising. It's it's really the, the hot topic right now. But again, getting a couple of best practices down for it will make a tremendous difference. Um, And second, I mentioned Instagram there. Uh, On the other hand, it isn't so much about advertising to me. It isn't also always about building up your account so that you can have a million followers on Instagram, although that would be nice. Um, Eventually, Instagram is going to become more and more pay-to-play, just like Facebook changed over time. But at the moment, there are plenty of people out there who have 100,000, 500,000, a million followers who have that follower base that also fit your target market. So you can just pay those individuals or businesses to promote you. Um, It's influencer marketing, and there's a ton of potential for it. And again, just like with Facebook ads, it's just an undervalued uh, activity right now. So if you can take advantage of it, go for it. In six years, uh, six months from now, a year from now, my answer there might change. We just don't know. And that's one of the issues with online marketing. It changes so fast and pretty pretty much unpredictably. But get into Facebook advertising. Try to figure out how you can 
leverage influencers on Instagram. I think those things will really help uh, 90% of the businesses out there. Sure. And in, in your your point there of in six months, it might be different. It it, it very well could be. I mean, it wasn't that long ago where I think that uh, Facebook wasn't as attractive of, a, of an advertising vehicle. And, and now that that's changed and you're right that the data they have available is is very impressive. So what the, the one thing about Facebook, the one thing about Instagram is, is these platforms. I mean, we we use them as individuals every day or most of us do for personal use. And then they have these very easy to use turnkey set up in advertise your business. What's your approach or what would be your recommendation there? Uh, the, because much like AdWords with Google or, you know, Facebook, you can definitely promote and posts and, and do all kinds of advertising. What's your recommendations for how a, a business that might, be brand new to Facebook or Instagram or any of these platforms, even AdWords, uh, how would you suggest that they approach or what would you caution them about? Sure. Well, I think it, it needs to just be something that is not too intimidating that you put out there. That's high value. Um, that's easy for people to consume. So what, what does that mean? What do I mean by that? Well, Facebook advertising over the last couple of years, everyone jumped on it and figured, I'll share a guide. I'll share an ebook. I'll share this or that in the uh, marketing world called lead magnets. And it's, it's a nice sentiment, but it's also something where if I'm browsing on Facebook, I'm there because I'm checking up with what my family and friends are up to. I don't necessarily want to read an 81-page ebook at the moment. Sure. Doesn't make sense um, to me. Um, but beyond that, the market was flooded with that. So people got used to those offers, um, in the market. And I think today, if you want something that's a, a real go-to winner, um, found a lot of success with giveaways and with, uh, calculators and quizzes and similar stuff like that. And if you want a very simple, uh, process for your campaign, those are the things to do, uh, as you get more advanced and complex you can uh, add in content like blog posts you can retarget people who view that blog post with a quiz and then you can share a video with them and you can do all these intricate things but if you can get a basic fundamental down of what's that offer that people are going to be attracted to in the ad that's where it all begins and that's something that you really want to to test out to figure out what's going to work the best um, not only in terms of format meaning, you know, ebook versus quiz versus giveaway, but also what are you giving away? Test different ideas. Um, what's the ebook about? What's the quiz going to tell them? Um, you have to test those different things. And that's, that's really the cornerstone of a successful campaign, the, the offer that you make. Absolutely. Now, these different strategies that the, you're talking about here, the quizzes, the, you know, the ebooks, the, um, excuse me, I'm, I'm, uh, the giveaways, I'm sorry, I'm blanking there a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, those three things in particular, um, there's lots of awesome, exciting software that you can use. I mean, you can custom develop, hire a developer, I guess, and develop uh, the, a way to deliver your ebook and collect the 
the information, the email address you you gather in exchange for that, or uh, have them sign up for a giveaway or uh, develop a quiz. What in there? The software limitations don't don't just stop with those three items. There's unbelievable um, tools out there available to use in your marketing strategy. Could you share with our listeners maybe some of the technology that you recommend or uh, some of the different platforms that you might use in conjunction with one another and in not just maybe those three that we just talked about, but overall for a marketing strategy? Sure. Yeah. Well, it's somewhat of a loaded question since technology can be so broad. So I'll try to not go too deep or ramble too far on anything. Um, but for the average small business, uh, I guess there's a couple of things that come to mind, top of mind. Um, first off, I'd say analytics are super important. So you need to be able to track behavior on your website, on any social media channels you use, advertising channels, and so on. Uh, the, the basic cornerstone of analytics is Google Analytics. So you want that set up, but you probably want a professional who can make sure that it's set up in the best way possible that it can generate reports for you that are based upon your business, what's actually driving your business, that the sales at the end of the day. So I think having the right analytic systems also across those different channels that you use, the dashboards on you know Facebook Ads Manager, um, on the different tools that you might use, learn to use those analytics tools. And you don't need a ton. You just need to know how to get to the core uh, KPIs, the key performance indicators, the core metrics on different channels um, so that you can pay attention to that. Um, second tech I guess I would mention would be uh, the for your website, the CMS, the content management system. Um, very briefly here, I always advise my clients who are not on WordPress but using some kind of website builder or some lesser known um less common platform you probably want to jump on wordpress uh there's a ton of websites that use it and you know none of my prescriptions here are going to be right for 100 percent of the businesses but for a small business in general um if you're using a free website builder of some sort you need to get serious and have the right infrastructure ready for your business wordpress is the, the right way to go the relatively easy way to go for that um and the the third building block is email, I would say, still alive and well. Um, it can be more advanced than ever too, but it goes beyond email marketing tools to marketing automation. Um, personally, I love Active Campaign for small business. It's relatively simple, but super flexible, super powerful, um, has a lot of the functionality of tools that cost hundreds of dollars per month, but it starts at $9 a month. Um, so, you know, you need analytics to understand behavior. You need, uh, a, a website that's flexible and that can grow with your business. So you need some platform such as WordPress that can grow with you and you need a reliable communication channel. So those databases that you have can actually be used well. And that's a, a marketing automation tool. Um, those are the three building blocks that I would mention there's plenty more that we can talk about, but I don't want to get too uh, convoluted here on the tech side also. No, I appreciate you going over the, the kind of the backbone there, because I think that's where 
a lot of, of business owners get confused is, all right, what, what do I need to have, you know, what should be my strong foundation that I build on and, uh, analytics, the CMS, the, the email, you know, communicating via the email systems, uh, are, are so important. And yeah, we could go in a thousand different directions with, with add-ons and different strategies and tactics that would compose those strategies. No, thank you for sharing that with us. That is, uh, exactly what I was, I was hoping to, to, uh, you, for you to share with our audience. So, yeah, sure. And, and to add on that, um, man, I want to give you some amazing tech ideas here, but kind of like I mentioned before, you really need the fundamentals down. So you might listen to this and say, yeah, I think I know I need a website right now. I think I know about email, but I'm all about just getting the best practices down on each individual activity. So focus on that and then you can get into some pretty cool, serious, advanced technology. But a lot of the companies, and I've, I honestly have seen it with the nine-figure firms that I've worked with as well, you would be shocked, but they don't have it figured out yet. And uh, I think it's it's important to just focus on those basics. Um, and it really can have a, a massive shift for you if you get them down right. Sure, absolutely. Because it's, it's easy to focus on the the shiny new marble in the in the group, the the mm-hmm. the the latest and greatest, the one that's in the headlines, but missing those those fundamentals, those that foundation is 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 definitely the uh, the big thing to, to, to look at here. So good yeah. stuff. Now we're, we talk a lot about automation. We're talking about putting systems in place and things that will make our lives as business owners easier. And we can flip the switch. We have artificial intelligence around the corner. We have virtual reality and everything else. We likely won't uh, have to do much uh, at all <laughs> here shortly. Right? So we're not quite there yet. We're not 100% automated, and and uh, I really hope that we don't uh, get to that point anytime in my foreseeable future. But uh, we still need humans that can create these strategies, that can contribute to these strategies, and they're a big component in any successful marketing campaign. How do you go about building a team, or how do you go about structuring the the people that are going to contribute to this marketing campaign that 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 a business owner would create yeah this this is a topic that i harp on with uh, a lot of new businesses and established businesses as well actually um because i think the people is probably the most important piece it it's likely the most important piece of my business and i never want a, a small business or even a solopreneur to try to do everything themselves. So regardless of the size, you do need a team. Um, but I also realize that choosing the right people isn't so easy. And especially when it comes to online marketing, if you don't know online marketing, it becomes even more difficult to figure out who knows what they're talking about and who doesn't. Um, so there's a couple of things to consider here. Um, First, you know, everyone's going to have a budget to consider, and that will dictate somewhat if you seek someone in-house or external partners, agencies, uh, freelancers, consultants. I tend to prefer about 90% of the time um, external hires. Uh, Every business, small or medium, is going to be different, but 
it's good to have someone internally, an internal digital asset who can sit around here and say uh, what's working, what isn't, and can identify of the external partners who knows what they're talking about and who's making it up as they go. Um, but nonetheless, overall, you're likely going to have an external digital team. Now, when it comes to getting the right people on that team, uh, I look for two main characteristics. Uh, one is an independent professional with a growth-oriented, helpful attitude. Um, someone who truly acts as a consultant, figuring out your best interest, your best case scenario. Um, and I tend to uh, prefer working with those who have a specific expertise of one practice, meaning they specialize in Facebook advertising, not advertising on Facebook and Google AdWords and whatever other project you propose to them. Um, I don't want someone who specializes in all of internet marketing because no one can know it all deeply enough that they can do it all themselves. Also, um, in general, I think there's some very low-budget team members you can you can gather up. There's some very high-end individuals. Usually you'll be very safe in that mid-tier category. And I like to find people that are domestic. Um, for me, it's tends to be America, but Canada as well, the UK, Australia. I find my best talent there. Um, and to some degree, time zone plays a role. So Australia is a little bit more difficult to work with. But you get those those people with the right attitude and the right specialization that you can work with. I think you're onto something very, very strong there. Um, so I can tell you a bit about how I, I select people. I mean, you're going to have a plethora of people that fit those kind of characteristics, but you need to actually decide. So I can, I can tell you a bit about that if you'd like. Absolutely. Because I think that's the, the, the one thing where a small business owner or an entrepreneur might get overwhelmed and say, this sounds great, David, but how do I go about filtering through the thousands and thousands of individuals that say, that's me. I can do that. Uh, here's my, my digital resume. Here's my uh, profile. And, and it says here that uh, I am a Facebook marketing expert because uh, this, this industry that, that uh, we're talking about the digital marketing industry, there's no, there's there's certifications but there's no it's not like uh, you go to a, a doctor's office and you, you see okay great this is a general family physician or this person is uh, an orthopedic surgeon because he went to school and he's gone to the training and residencies and everything else of that nature there's a lot of gray area out there so if you could share with our listeners how you go about choosing the right individual for what you're looking for that would be fantastic Sure. Well, you know what I love doing? Uh, split testing. And now everyone thinks of split testing as the A versus B of two different ads or landing page A versus landing page B and what works better. It's the right concept, but just apply it to HR instead. So you're testing expert A versus expert B. And you're going to have them work on the same project. So your costs at the end of the day for that project are going to be higher. You have two people doing the same thing, but you find someone with the right skill set, the right eagerness to work and the right 
communication and culture fit for you. And that's incredibly important because usually you find someone who is very skilled but sucks at communicating or they communicate very well. They're right on top of things, but they're not doing a great job. So you find someone who, who has that balance and it, it's very helpful to split test people and how they perform, how they communicate, because then you have a benchmark to really know who's doing a good job and who isn't. And it's typically pretty clear. There's, there's usually a winner there. That's, that's how I end up with my best people. So um, not to leave you just on that, I'll give you an idea for the project piece. Typically to, to start with people, and if we're in the strategy development phase here, you have them run forecasts for you. You have them outline the opportunity and what the strategy would be to uh, run a campaign on that specific channel. So if they're a, a Facebook ads expert, AdWords expert, um, even a, a web design expert, and you want to get the right people for that. Don't ask for free work. It's a paid opportunity, but also you're not going to promise them the world after that. You just want to focus on, hey, help me build the right strategy around this. Um, what can I do and what can I do on this channel? Is it valid for me? Is it not? And this lets you test the expert. You get an unbiased review because they're focused on what's in your best interest, not in a long-term relationship. Um, they might assume they might work with you. They might also assume you got in-house staff that will execute and implement. Um, and at the end of the day, you, you get that split test and you get along with that, uh, a very meaningful, uh, report created for you on whether that strategy or that channel is going to be a fit for you. Um, and that's something you need to do anyhow. You need to have a strategy. You can't just jump into any channel or any project. So it's very worthwhile work. And there's a, a slight increase as opposed to having just one individual do that for you. But the in the, the back end, you're getting a tremendous amount more value out of it. Sure. We've all, I think, hired or made the wrong choice during a hire. And we know how costly that can be. So that's a great method for i guess an audition right uh, a, a way to, to test yeah. drive the uh the person or p persons to, to determine which one now would you have them do the the same exact tasks or would you have them work together on the project doing different tasks i would have them do the exact same tasks um you know the same job description out front and I would have them completely separate. I'm not going to tell them that I have someone else doing the same thing. Um, I'm not going to share any extra information because part of the process is they have to ask me the right questions to get the job done. So if I give the same job description, someone comes back with, all right, I'll get started, and someone else has three really brilliant and needed questions, I'm going to let them follow their process, and I'm going to see who is making sure the job gets done the right way as opposed to who just wants to get the job done. And you can learn a lot from that. Um, and I think it's important to give the same project because you need to see a real comparative uh, result from this. That first individual that you said would that didn't ask the questions, would, would you allow them to finish and see their process through or would you cut them off and say, stop, time out, this isn't working, you've already threw up a giant red flag in my, what, what I'm looking for. Um, how would, how would you approach that? 
I would let it go. Um, there's a chance that it's it's not something that's going to cause a dead end. Um, but more likely than not, I can always take that work and then head over to the other individual if they are, um, you know, if there's someone that I'm going to move forward with, I can just say, hey, I had someone else do a similar project or the same project. This is what they come up came up with. Uh, what do you make of it? And, you know, I might test two or three people at a time. So I have some perspective there. Um, if someone really doesn't seem like a fit, I'd probably have them complete the job, but I might have a third candidate um, ready to go to add to that. And uh, like you mentioned, hiring is costly. Firing people is a lot of work and finding a replacement. So paying someone to do a, a project, it doesn't have to be tens of thousands. It could be hundreds. It could be a couple thousand dollars you spend here. But paying them to do that up front really does save you long term. Um, so if you have two or three people, you'll be pretty safe to find someone who's a good fit. And, you know, that should be after you've interviewed five to 10 people to get to that short list. Anyhow. Sure. Do you prefer to work with individuals remotely or do you, uh, do, 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 would that person then, would they remain remote or would they, would they come join your team at your physical location? Uh, personally, um, I'm essentially entirely remote and I do that because I really want to get the best talent and not the best talent that's convenient enough to come into the office. Um, unfortunately I don't have a ton of great talent in my area. If anyone happens to be listening from Rhode Island, I'm sorry. There's just few of us around here (laughs) that have that high skill level. Um, so and, you know, I do have a couple of people that work with me in Rhode Island, so they're around, but I found my best people um, that are based in Arizona and California and traveling all over. And uh, I, I don't like to keep geography as a, a reason to work with someone. Um, there's certainly benefits. You know, it's nice to look across the office floor and just say, hey, what's going on with this or that, as opposed to having to send the email. But, um, you know, if you can find the best talent, I think that trumps the need for finding someone local. Sure. Absolutely. Oh, that's definitely changes the dynamic and the tools we have available now that we can actually work with one another. I mean, Justin is my business partner. He's located in Orlando, Florida, and I'm in Toledo, Ohio. So Mm -hmm. that is something that, uh, when Justin moved down to Florida, because he, he used to live here in Toledo, uh, everyone's like, oh, is he leaving the business? I'm like, no, he's still the part owner of the business. Actually, I think we actually yep. communicated more after I left. Yes, I agree. <laughs> to be honest with you. I agree. So it's it's an interesting, I, 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 I too uh, have become fond of the re, the remote work environment and uh you're you're spot on when when you look at the talent pools that you limit yourself to by requiring a physical presence and so uh, I love the 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 split testing with the the recruitment though that that's that's brilliant and uh, I think that's something that I want to adopt immediately because I think it allows for so many additional doors to be open and, and being more confident in the choice because you just, you, you get a good feeling. I think everyone 
uh, interviews well. Everyone dresses nicely or speaks well on the phone. Everyone has a great resume, no matter how accurate it may or may not be. Um, but to actually have them do some work and see how they perform before you make that hire is, is brilliant. You mentioned earlier, David, uh, KPIs, key performance indicators, mm-hmm. and they're important to uh, measure success. Um, which, how do you, let's start off the question with this way. How do you measure success? And then which KPIs do you focus on? And which ones maybe do you not focus so much on in marketing? Okay. Well, I have a, a couple of principles I follow related to KPIs. Um, so I don't think it's too smart for me to give you, these are the three specific KPIs that you follow no matter what. But I can give you a couple of principles to follow and you'll, you'll find the best case scenario for you and it, it, it won't be too complicated. So first, um, I think one of the issues and that's, you know, with the power of online marketing and Google analytics and so on, we have too many options, too many KPIs that we can follow. So for each channel, you're going to want three to five KPIs. Um, and those are the ones that you're going to track week by week, month by month and look at the the progress. Um, And it'll be different for AdWords versus Facebook versus whatever other channel that you might use. But you don't want to get lost in the dozens or hundreds of different options of what you can track. You want to keep it to a high level. Strategically, what's going to keep us moving forward? So another principle that ties into that is those KPIs should focus on getting as close to the sale as possible. For example, in advertising, uh, you can track clicks and make that a KPI. That's an option. But that doesn't mean it has anything to do with your business. If someone clicks, that doesn't really translate to dollars. So if you can track the leads generated, being people who not only clicked, but also left their name and email for more information, entered the giveaway, got the ebook, whatever it is, then that's more valuable. It's closer to dollars at the end of the day for you. Beyond that, if you can track through to the sale, then that's the KPI that matters the most. Um, Figuring out how much it costs you to acquire each customer is an excellent KPI to have. Uh, A cost per lead is a decent KPI because it doesn't connect to customers exactly, but it's closer. Cost per click, I generally can care less about. It's an indicator. It's something you need to know how to use as an advertising professional but I need more than that to feel good about my marketing. So the point, again, get that KPI as close to the sale as possible. And I guess the last principle is to have an actual system in place. And I really prefer an anti-tech system at the end of the day. Uh, There's a ton of marketing tools out there that can generate reports for you. And they'll have page after page of details. And again, dozens of Uh, metrics that you can track but what I like to do is essentially have an executive summary and I I, uh, have my team do this manually in PowerPoint so that we can have a one-page overview of three things one what was accomplished over the last month might be two or three items there then 
the the numbers, the KPIs, the three to five that we're tracking. And the final piece of that report is what's coming up the next month ahead, the two or three things that we're going to be working on. And doing it in this format, manually creating that report and not having it all just quantitative numbers pulled automatically, it forces accountability for your team and it forces you to be thoughtful about what you have done, what you're doing going forward. So as much as there's some amazing report generation systems out there, just pen to paper or write up in PowerPoint, doing it manually, I think is uh, super important and it's a little bit of work, but it's a worthwhile investment of your time um, or your team's time. Great advice. You definitely can get lost in, let's just take Google Analytics, for instance. There's more data inside that singular platform than most people should ever even consider looking at. And uh, I, I love the idea of, of just focusing on some high-level items instead of drowning yourselves or getting focused on something that is not as important as you might make it. Um, it's kind of like uh, looking at your investment portfolio and getting fixated on one stock that's in one mutual fund that's tanking when everything else is doing great. Mm-hmm. True. So what, once the campaigns are live, you know, we talked about uh, key performance indicators and things along those and measuring, are, are there any other things that, that you recommend doing uh, outside of tracking the KPIs uh, once the campaign's running, um, you know, you mentioned split testing. Do you do a lot of that? What are, what are some other things that you do after this? You know, we've planned our marketing strategy. We've identified our buyer persona. We've created the assets we need. We have the the campaign implemented. It's up and live and running. And the team that we've constructed is, is optimal. And uh, we have the KPIs we're going to measure in place. What happens next? What do we do on a continuous basis? Sure. Well, depending on what that campaign is, there's there's going to be ongoing reporting, which we just touched on a bit. Um, depending on the size of the business, I think quarterly uh, leadership committees makes a lot of sense where, you know, for those uh, mid-sized businesses where leadership is somewhat detached, getting the executive team involved, getting marketing, sales, customer service directors involved, and so on, um, to track the progress and make digital a core component of the entire business, I think is important. But for everyone, whether it's a, a small business with uh, one employee or just the owner, to those nine-figure businesses, the practice that matters when your campaign is live and running is taking a scientific approach to testing. It's really vital. And I mentioned split testing in... The HR sense, but it is a, a core component of marketing. So that means, you know, split testing ads, split testing landing pages, uh, the website, and so on. Um, it means also tracking blog posts and testing what's performing well, what's not, you know, being aware of what people are interested in. Um, but most of all, it's about acting as a scientist when you do this, meaning you know, you have a ton of options of all these different things to test. But if you go a little crazy with it and you test dozens of different ads with dozens of different landing pages with dozens of different email autoresponders, 
there's too many variables to identify what's working and what isn't. So you have a very complex campaign. You're doing a lot of testing, but you can't really say what's working. After a campaign is live, we focus on one variable at a time, and we test dozens of different elements at, of one type. So it might be messages. And we might have two, three different types of messages that we uh, test out. And, you know, a lot of them will suck. They'll tank. They'll <laughs> perform very poorly. But it's worthwhile to do that to figure out what those messages are that just don't work. Because we have to essentially sift through the dirt to find the gold, as they say. So you find that gold. You find that golden message. And you move forward to the next test where you test you know, the imagery, the graphics that you use. And that's the one variable. So ongoing testing on an ongoing basis where you just continue to test until you find a statistical significant winner in that category. That's that's the thing that I think is most important. Great stuff. All right, guys, I think we're getting pretty close to time. David, you just shared a lot of great, helpful information for our audience today. What uh, What is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Sure. Well, you can head over to davidjbradley.com. Uh, there's information there about my book and my course, um, about uh, working with marketing agency owners, etc. cetera. Uh, you can go to thebbg.com, which stands for the Bradley Business Group. Um, that's my firm, digital strategy firm. We do a lot of Facebook advertising work. Um, and if you'd like, you can go try to find my book on Amazon, Getting Digital Marketing Right. Um, I'll share some links for the show notes as well. You can get that as paperback or Kindle. Perfect. Beautiful. If you had one last piece of parting advice for the listening audience, what would that be? Well, I think it's, you know, build that right team around you. Take some time to research professionals in whatever category you need. If it's uh, an AdWords professional, an SEO professional, whatever. Look around LinkedIn, look around with your network, getting referrals, um, use different websites to find people online, get a short list of five to 10 candidates, sit down, talk to them, and then do that small test project where you split test two or three people Mm -hmm. because you need that, that right group. And, you know, it could be testing an agency versus a consultant versus local freelancer. And that's okay. You just got to find the right fit for you and your business. Um, and I think that building that digital dream team around you, that will really help move your business forward. Beautiful. Build the digital dream team. All right, David. Hey, thanks so much for being on our show today. Nia Noise Nation, we hope you enjoyed the conversation with David. Be sure to go out and check out his website at davidjbradley.com. As always, the show notes will be available today at neongoldfish.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, this is Justin, Ken, and David signing off. Neon Noise Nation, we will see you again next week. 
thank you for listening to this episode of the Neon Noise Podcast. Did you enjoy the podcast? If so, please subscribe, share with a friend, or write a review. We want to cover the topics you want to hear. If you have an idea for a topic you'd like Justin and Ken to cover, connect with us on Twitter at Neon Goldfish or through our website at neongoldfish.com.